It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Thank you, big voice guy. I am Michelle Mendoza. Happy to be hanging out with you. This is what we call Health Watch Wednesday. It is one of our five podcasts during the week, Tuesday through Saturday, bringing you news, information, great topics, I think, but we always look for a deeper story, a God story, and it's always a message of hope. Today on Health Watch, it's all about autism. Autism is absolutely huge and it affects just about every family in America. One in 160 children globally have autism. One in 59 children have been diagnosed with ASD in the U.S., an increase of 15% in just the past five years. It's estimated there are over 76 million people with ASD worldwide. Autism is the fastest growing developmental disability. Treatment costs are skyrocketing. Autism will cost over $460 billion by 2025 in the U.S. alone. So it is a big issue and it is growing. We're going to be talking about treatment when they say there is no treatment. We're going to talk today about hope for people with autism and what an amazing blessing autism can be to families. It's not what you choose for your kids, but in many ways, many parents are finding it's a blessing in disguise. And I've asked that question, is it a is it a flaw in God's design or a blessing in disguise? I'll let you come to that conclusion today. We're going to speak with a doctor who works with kids with autism and a personal friend of mine. I've known her for many, many years. We're going to talk with an expert who's written a book on how to integrate people with autism more effectively to be a blessing to all of us. And you're going to hear a story about a young boy who, suffering from the inability to speak, suddenly found a unique way to have his voice heard. And what he said as an autistic child will absolutely floor you. You won't want to miss it. If you know anyone who has been diagnosed with autism or you think may be on the spectrum, you will want to hear this program. You'll want to share this program. You'll want to like this program and you'll want people to know about it. Copy the link, share it to people because autism is more than just something we push under the table. There is hope for those who are autistic and their families and there is a purpose. So as we talk about autism today, uh, many parents will get that news, your child is autistic. I want you to understand that when you hear those words, it is absolutely fine to feel that sense of loss, that sense of mourning. You had a plan in, in mind, dreams for your children. Suddenly, it's taking a different direction. Many people will experience some of the symptoms, and these are some of those, when you do a baby autism check. How to recognize the early signs of autism. Step one, pay attention to when your baby begins to babble. They should start at around five months old. Step two, begin monitoring eye contact at around six to nine months. Step three, if your baby makes a sound, make one back and see if they reciprocate. Step four, note whether your baby responds to their name. Step five, note their behavior around 12 months. By this point, most babies are pointing, waving, grasping objects, and attempting to speak. Step six, gauge your baby's sensitivity to sound and touch. Note their focus. Do they tend to fixate on a favorite object or part of an object to the exclusion of other people? Step eight, look for repetitive movements associated with autism. Step nine, see how set in their ways they are. Step 10, keep track of their vocabulary. Consult your pediatrician if your child regresses or if they exhibit any of the behaviors previously discussed. Did you know? Researchers have found that the intelligence level of people with autism spectrum disorders has been underestimated and that many of them could excel at highly structured jobs in math, science, and law. Wow, and we'll find out how as we take autism on today. 
autism. It is amongst us. And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that one in 68 children in the U.S. have autism or on the autistic spectrum. We've learned so much, but yet there's so much we don't know. And I swear, if I hear another story in the news about a little boy or girl that throws a birthday party that no one comes to because they're on the spectrum and people think they're weird, you read those and you're broken hearted. Why is it in this age where we should be so enlightened? Are we so ignorant? And it's as though we don't have time to learn and love about other people. So that's part of why we decided to take on the issue of autism today. But I wanted to include in the mix Um, She's my favorite doctor. (laughs) We've been friends actually forever. So many years I've I've lost track since first grade. Uh, We've been best buddies and she's been with me through thick, through thin, through ups and downs. Uh, She's become a spectacular doctor. I mean, I brag about her all the time. She's a doctor with a heart. And you have done some your research and found out some fascinating things about autism that we're going to share with people today. You will not want to miss it. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to someone I love dearly, Dr. Chrissy Hagelin. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Doza. How are you? (laughs) All right. So, yes, we have nicknames. So as you're listening today, she's Hagee. I'm Doza. It's just the way it's been since first grade and bluebirds and everything since. So, Hagee, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking with you. So with autism, there is so much we don't know. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in our country, we like to just stick a pill in someone's mouth and call it good. But there's so much that we can do, some things that we can learn that can contribute to problems that those who have autistic disabilities may have and things that we can contribute to helping. And that's why I wanted to take on today. Okay, yeah, I think just the definition of autism is so large, and it changed it, and it changed a few years ago, and it got even larger. Oh, great! So, so as, if it as, wasn't confusing enough, ago, yeah, it was. It's it's been even enlarged because we've added um, Asperger's syndrome into that. So when I hear a patient might be coming with autism, I have to realize this child may be very high functioning, or this child may be low functioning. So I have to address that when I meet the child or if I speak with the patient's parent, we have to assess that right away. As you said, people treat people with autism with um, skepticism or nervousness or um, an unsure feeling about them. And we just have to remember they're people and they're very, very capable. And we have to bring out the best in them. And that means helping them to the best of our ability. Um, as a doctor treating as a doctor treating those patients, I like to help parents just tell them that we have to um, get the stuff that might be troubling their brain or troubling their body out. Hmm. So we we think about getting the bad stuff out and the good stuff in, and that's where, since I'm a naturopathic doctor, that's what we do. We think about. Um, getting good things in people and supplementing and giving magnesium or folate or B vitamins and getting good food in them and think about things that might be disrupting our body like toxins or parasites or heavy metals. Wow. I I think that what I want to talk about a little bit more, and we'll get into some of the things that can contribute to helping people function better if they're on the autistic spectrum. But as you mentioned, the definition of autism was already convoluted, confusing, and large, and now it's gotten larger. So for Mm -hmm. those who may not even know, and that was the, the case before someone came up with the term autism and autism autistic spectrum. Uh, People just had difficulties, uh, differences. Some would be labeled as retarded. Some would be labeled as, you know, just a little socially awkward. But now that that definition is, is quite large, are there typical symptoms that you can say, okay, there may, this may be someone on the spectrum? 
for that, um, there's usually a, and there can often be an anxiety part to it. Yeah. There's a social, there's a social dysfunction to it. Um, not being able to read cues very well, not getting much eye contact. Of course, there can be physical disabilities with someone like that. Like I said, it's so large. I mean, some famous people, some famous people in our society probably have autism and they've ridden, risen to the ranks. Wow. So we don't we don't talk about them as having autism. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on their functionality. Yeah. Um, but social social and anxiety can go along with that for sure. It's hard when you're in a situation to to be able to communicate with someone who has autism if that's not your comfort zone or if you don't have any experience with it. Yeah, well, and maybe a show like this can can help. Yeah, Yeah, so hopefully a show like this actually can help with that if you're just joining us. My oldest and dearest friend, (laughs) Dr. Chrissy Hagland, uh, affectionately known as Hagee. And so if you hear her tossing around Doza, yeah, that's me. And (laughs) there you go. And so what happens when you've been friends as many years as we have? We're talking about autism and as, as a doctor, having studied and delved into autism, understanding that, okay, yeah, there may be differing symptoms, people may present differently, all of us may even have differing issues, whether on, we're on the spectrum or not. So what it really comes down to are two things to me. What contributes to some of the negative connotations or the negative effects, I should say, rather, of autism? And what are some of the things that can contribute to helping all of us, especially those on the spectrum, become higher functioning? I think seeing like seeing a good doctor, someone who can really understand and treat it well. Mm-hmm. As natural public doctors, we look for the root cause. And so many of these these things have happened through um, a genetic susceptibility. There might be a genetic susceptibility within the family line within the genes, and then there's been an environmental assault on the person, and their body hasn't responded well. So it's about helping the body be its best self, and that's what we try to do. It's yeah. really is support the child and support the gut health and create a good functioning brain and create good functioning bodies. We talk often on our Health Watch podcast about our lives being this mushy chemical soup of the products that we use and the way our food is tainted and the things that we eat, our standard American diet. Uh, it goes on and on. And we would be foolish to think that some of the things that we we are in contact with don't have uh, some kind of chemical reactions within us and can really contribute to some of the problems that people have, especially if they're already dealing with a propensity towards autistic uh, spectrum disorder. Yes, absolutely. I mean, in this country alone, we create 400 new chemicals a year. Wow. 400 new chemicals. It's absolutely crazy. And there are 2 million registered chemicals. And we have to remember we're all very sensitive beings. Our, our biology is sensitive. We might look hard on the outside because we have the skin, but inside are special processes that happen and are very delicate. And if they're hit with some sort of environmental assault, pesticides, herbicides, GMO foods, adjuvants and vaccines, things and heavy metals, that causes things to malfunction. And, and we have a way of, of taking this under control and, and helping our body by making good choices, by making good educated choices, choosing cleaner environments, choosing cleaner foods, being careful during pregnancy, Maybe get a genetic test before you get pregnant. Maybe getting a genetic test after you get pregnant and making good choices with our health care, with our health care dollars, frankly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated, yet it's simple. Because when we understand that there are many forces at work here, we have to tease them apart. That's, that, of course, starts with a good intake. Then we have a good physical exam. And we really listen to the patients. We meet the patients. We meet the patients where they are. And it's 
There's been a lot of recovery. I want everyone to know that autism recovery is possible. That's what everyone today needs to hear. This is very possible. If you are a committed parent or a committed sister or whoever you might be, or you yourself are affected, it is possible to have recovery. It takes time and it takes consistency and it takes finding a good doctor who will help you. But it's very possible. That's encouraging. I thought perhaps then you might be able to give us some insight into how much a difference making those good choices are when you clean up some of the chemical soup <laughs> and when yeah, you yeah. when you replace yeah. it with whole nourishing foods when you take the right supplements when, and you you talked about some specifics and we'll get into some specifics that uh, have been shown to be uh, helpful for those with autism but let's first talk about what difference has have you been able to see what marked difference what does that look like? I think one of the things I look for my patients is I want them to be able to be calm and focused. And that's mm-hmm. what I'll say to their parents. I'm looking for something to calm them because often they'll come and, and they are sort of hyperkinetic. And those are, that is heavy metals at work. That is ah. potentially viruses. That's potentially parasites and mold. Things are chemicals. Those things make our body move and they stimulate us. They don't dumb us down. They often stimulate us. So I'm looking to calm my patients and get those things out. Like I said, get the bad stuff out, get the good stuff in. But I want my patients to be calm and I want them to be focused. Again, it depends on where they are on the scale of autism. I tend to see the hyperkinetic type. I don't tend to see the children that are... um, um, have really, really low functioning. I tend to see children that are um, maybe higher functioning and they just need to be able to communicate with their family, get along, and gain independence. Mm-hmm. And through, again, just talking about like sleep patterns with the mom, food patterns, exercise patterns, communication patterns, socialization. Those are the things that we're looking at as doctors to see how that child is getting along in the world and how we can help that child get along even better in the world. Some of the kids are getting along in the world, but they just need to do better. So that's our job is to help parents along. And so we work as sort of a co-team try to help that child improve their life. Definitely, I see more children than, than, than adults, so that's a child. Yeah. But, um, but we work together, and again, it's possible to help those, those families who really, really are seeking answers, and they should be seeking answers. They shouldn't be told no, and I appreciate working with patients who have been told no, who have, have been told there isn't anything to do, who have been told drugs are the only answer, because there are so many answers, and it's exciting to find a special combination that works for a particular child. It's all a very individualized medicine, and that's where sometimes genetic testing comes into it, and a committed family behind that child to help. Let me ask you, and if you're just joining us, Dr. Chrissy Hagland is with us. She does work with autistic children, autistic families, and she offers a lot of hope. What are some of the treatments, the supplements, the things that are not really known to the general public that you've seen have great efficacy in the treatment of autism? Well, I think we just need to realize that um, something has happened to the body, and that because it's happened, we can correct it. And for some of these kids, it's really something quite simple. It's getting them to poop. Huh. <laughs> we as naturopathic doctors tend to talk about this too much. Some of these kids are just constipated because heavy metals will constipate you. They do very much constipate. So when we can get heavy metals out or we can just get children pooping, giving them magnesium, looking at their magnesium, looking at their, their calcium, looking at getting fish oils in them, things that will help them poop, getting more fiber in there, mm-hmm. you know, choosing more fibrous vegetables, choosing more fibrous fruits reducing simple carbs, things like that, that really helps a lot because you know what happens when you poop? You get things out of your body. You're detoxifying when you poop. 
And you know what you're you're doing when you're sleeping? You're detoxifying by getting a child to sleep well. And often these children have sleep dysregulation to an incredible amount. So um, I try to help parents get their their child to do those two things that help detoxify them. And we look at other ways to detoxify them as well and getting them to clean up their guts. Cleaning up guts is really important because that's where all of our serotonin is made. A lot of a lot of happiness comes from our gut. Mm-hmm. When our gut is happy and it's no longer leaky, permeable, I know these are sort of terms that everyone's probably heard. Yeah. But when our when our gut is happy, we're happy. Our, you know, we're functioning, we're going to the bathroom, we're urinating, we're making serotonin. We're much, much happier. Our serotonin doesn't come mostly from our brain. It really comes from our gut. And that's why we talk about gut health. We talk about glutamine to help pull the cells together and stop leaky, leaky gut. We talk about magnesium again to poop. Some of these children need more folate. They were folate deficient during formation. Um, and they need more folate. Some kids um, don't need more folate and they react to it. Some kids need B vitamins to calm them down. The zinc-copper ratio is huge. Zinc-copper ratio is very important, and that's absolutely something you need to work with the doctor on. Some kids need fish oil. Some kids need a different kind of fish oil, <laughs> different kinds of oil. Um, some of them stimulate them, and some of them calm them down. It just depends on your child's biology. And, you know, acid therapy is great. It helps calm children and focus them. I use those a lot in my practice. And I think the fat-soluble vitamins are incredibly powerful, D, E, A, and K. Again, when you're working with fat-soluble vitamins, you want to work with a doctor who's an expert on this. Mm. You have to be very careful about those because unlike B vitamins that go through our body and we pee them out daily, fat-soluble vitamins get stored. But I think so many doctors are afraid to use fat-soluble vitamins that we, we need to not be afraid of them. We just need to test properly and use them judiciously, but use them properly. Oh, wow. A lot of kids can benefit from that. Very good so advice. Yeah. And I think what it comes down to, there are some interesting specifics. And a lot of the things you talked about are the things that we can talk about with our doctor, that we can find a good doctor that can help us. But it comes down to the when when you hear a program like this, and you think, gosh, I should re-listen and take notes. It comes down to this very simple thing that you said at the beginning of our interview today, get the bad stuff out, get the good stuff in our bodies were made to regenerate to re to heal itself uh, to to get better we just have to give it what it needs in order to do it and stop feeding it what is breaking it down and contributing to the problem and that goes across the board whether we're dealing with heart issues other health issues or as we've been talking about today autism we've been talking with dr chrissy Haglin. Uh, we have been friends since first grade <laughs> and she's put up with me all these years which says in herself she's got a lot of patience doctors got a lot of patience <laughs> so <laughs> so i i can say that uh i know that she is so she she will talk with people like we go seriously if you can imagine this you go with your friend and you go to a supermarket you're just going for a couple of things she walks out with phone numbers people she'll send christmas cards to for the next decade helping people oh oh i see you're buying this do you have are you dealing with uh this issue oh yeah yeah well you might want to try i mean she is just that's her whole life is loving and helping people and she's been that way since i can remember so when i i say that to say that i i know that if we give your uh email out if someone has questions if they're dealing with a child with autism you might be able to steer them in the right direction or give them a a referral or to to someone that might be able to see them you can find her at on facebook at dr chrissy send her a message ask her a question she'll be there for you i know she has been for me thank you so so much for making time today thank you love you thank you love you too joseph bye share with you something that's changed my life. Uh, It's a product. And I used to take it when they paid me to talk about it at the radio station. And when I left my job, I stopped taking the product, right? And everything went south. It's Calitrin. 
It is a collagen supplement and the best out there. A lot of people take it for weight loss. I mean, people are losing anywhere from 10 to a couple hundred pounds. That's great. But for me, what it did is it helped me sleep. It helped me focus. My hair, skin, and nails were looking spectacular. It is amazing for those who may have arthritis, achy joints, that kind of thing. But man, it really is a fountain of youth in a bottle and I could feel its effects when I stopped taking it. So I contacted them and said, hey, do you want to be an affiliate? You know, you don't you have to sponsor my show. Just give me an opportunity to get the product at a special deal and to share that with my listeners. And that's what we're doing. So go to mymichellelive.com, click on the link and learn more about Calitrin, my favorite product. It's Health Watch, and autism is a big deal. Dr. Siegel is a developmental psychologist, founder, executive director of the Autism Center of Northern California. She is our guest today. We're going to be talking about a book that she's written, The Politics of Autism. What are we missing? What can we learn? Dr. Siegel, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Wow, we are in an age where autism is so very prevalent, and yet so many of us know so little about it, including sometimes experts. Well, let's let's talk about some of the uh, big issues in autism today. Um, in the politics of autism, I try to get at this because what we learn in the general public about autism and what is the real autism that many families are living with are a couple different things. Um, one of the things is that we are having <clears throat> real issues now in the field of autism education. When we look uh, forward to adults with autism, we see that maybe 90% of them are unemployed or underemployed as adults, hmm. and that 85% are still living with parents. And Many parents have had reason over the years to hope for better outcomes um, than that, and I think rightfully so. Um, children with autism um, go through school with various supports um, called IEPs, Individual Education Programs, where there's a lot of attention to what's wrong, um, what they can't do, and things we can do to help them do it better. And when I look at the adult outcome data, my thought mm. is that I think we're making, a, we're making a mistake. We should be asking, what do these kids do well? How do we, from the get-go, enhance their strengths? And instead of developing adults who have been told over and over again what's wrong with them, how do we reinforce a profile of I'm good at, fill in the blank, and then try to match that to a uh, a vocational activity or an educational activity that they can do as they move into adulthood. Wow, that's powerful right there. And what I hear you saying is when we call something an individual education program, but it almost has a one-size-fits-all kind of feel to it, we really aren't celebrating the individual. And I guess if you took it out of the realm, Dr. Siegel, of autism and just said, for all of us, don't we want to accentuate the positive and play down some of the negatives? Find out what are we good at? What can I do? What's my gifting? It, it would seem that that would celebrate people as being individuals, fearfully, wonderfully made, precious. Well, that's an interesting, I mean, I'm glad you put it that way, because um when I have visited programs for people with autism in other countries, um, we actually see more of that than we do in the U.S. Wow. In the U.S., there is very much a one-size-fits-all. We're going to try to get everybody to finish high school. We're going to try to get everybody who we feel doesn't have an intellectual disability with their autism to go to college. And instead, what we see when we go and look at programs in other countries is that they look at what does this person do well. And we know that we can make uh, lemonade out of lemons and that instead of saying, well, this person likes routine and this person likes repetition and this person likes to pay attention to detail, um, we, we look at what kind of jobs require that and require that as something that is important to success in the job. Mm -hmm. And we try to create uh, a fit between, again, you know, 
the not one size fits all thing. How do we find jobs where what that individual is doing fits what he can do? And so we had talked earlier, you know, a good example would be, say, working in a winery, which was an example, you know, relevant to listeners in Washington State, that um, somebody has to label the bottle, someone has to inventory the bottle, someone has to put the right number in a box and put the same label on the boxes on the bottles. Um, and this is a job that it's not a make-work job for a person with autism or some other disability. It's something that has to be done at the winery. And if a person with autism has that job, they may well not get bored by doing the same thing over and over again because repetition feels pretty good. And importantly, they're valued as a member of the work team. Somebody has mm-hmm. to do that work. And if they do it well, then other people are going to say, hey, let's give him this work to do because he really is careful to make sure things are accurate. So we need to think more about that and less about one size fits all. Well, how do we make adapted algebra work for this individual or those kinds of um, of thinking so that we, I think, improve our chance of successful employment independence for people with so, so well put. As you're listening today to Dr. Siegel, I wonder if you're thinking what I'm thinking that, boy, this is something we can use uh, on a grand scale. Uh, it seems like we're a world where we tout diversity, but we have a trouble accepting people who think, vote, or look differently, have different culture or religious uh, backgrounds. And we have a hard time with that. If they uh, have a different political leaning or their choices are different than what we think, we have problems with that. So it's not surprising that we have problems with people who act a little funny to us or a little bit outside of the norm. And that's what we're talking about oftentimes when we're talking about people on the spectrum. They may have just some of those social cues they just don't get or some of those connections. And I think to the stories that we hear again and again, Dr. Siegel, of the kid who has a birthday party that nobody comes to. And you say, hey, that translates into adulthood too. They're those kids that have no one come to their birthday parties are the adults that no one wants to hire. There's that, but I think it also begs the question of what kind of communities we should be thinking about with adults with autism. Mm -hmm. So I visited some very successful adult communities where, let's say, there's structured activities and everybody, uh, you know, goes bowling on Monday night and out for pizza on Tuesday night and to movie on Wednesday night. And you've got the same group of five, ten guys who are doing this. And, you know, for some people that may be boring. But if you're on the autism spectrum, knowing where you're going to go ahead of time, uh, which pizza restaurant you're going to go to, and probably knowing what kind of pizza all your friends order, um, is part of what feels good about doing that same activity over and over again. And there's a real controversy in the field of autism these days about well, if that community works, we should do more of them. And people who say, no, the rest of the world should kind of come to us. And uh, um, and I think there's some real issues in what's being called neurodiversity and um, not kind of realizing that not everybody wants to go up and live in the same kind of an environment. Dr. Rin Siegel, she is the author of The Politics of Autism. What started you on this passion to work with children and people with autism, doctor? Well, I've been working with kids with autism since the 70s. And I started off in education and writing my thesis on autism um, mm. in college in the 70s. But um, came back to it after I did a PhD in developmental psychology at Stanford and um, really worked in the field of psychiatry for 30 years, first at Stanford and as a professor at the University of California, San Francisco, and was very involved in um, trying to improve early identification and diagnosis of autism. And I think that one of the things a lot of people don't realize is that psychiatry is different than other fields of medicine, meaning that all the diagnoses are behavioral. In other words, we can all agree we're going to call this autism. And part of autism expanding over the years is that that bandwidth is bigger and bigger 
and we realize that there are forms of autism in lots of different people that um, we've gone from thinking that 70% of people with autism have some degree of intellectual disability as well to thinking that 70% don't. Mm. And that tells us that we're recognizing autism symptoms in more and more people who don't have specific learning limitations. And I think where things are going and what I've been writing about is, you know, maybe we shouldn't be calling everybody autistic because a lot of people are really what I call pie chart people, huh. meaning that, well, they have symptoms of autism and maybe that explains 60% of what's going on, but maybe anxiety describes 20% of it and maybe obsessive compulsive disorder describes 10% of it and having attention problems is 10%. Mm. And so I think that we need to start thinking, more, as we think of autism more broadly, it's not that is it right or wrong to call this person autistic or why didn't we know this before, but the real job is to know all the things that are having an impact on this person's ability to function so that the, the accommodations, the teaching, the strengths that we're looking for take into account all these different diagnostic labels, if you will, so that yes. you know, we need to be recognizing the diversity of uh, what makes up a person. That is powerful because you're looking at people as a whole person, and it, it begs the question, are any of us really normal, and what is normal? <laughs> well, that's, maybe that's a discussion for another person. <laughs> But when you think about it, we all have issues that we're dealing with, whether it's anxiety, depression, physical issues, uh, abandonment issues, whatever they may be, we all have things that that challenge us. For some, maybe their physiological or mental makeup make some things difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, in in the context of this program, asking whether there isn't something a little bit autistic about all of us is not a bad question. (laughs) And, um, you know, and I think that maybe most of us could think of at least 5% of the pie that we're made of that is not, that, that allows you to relate to how autistic people act and feel. And since many of us don't want that to be a bigger piece, that may be what causes this sense of rejection of people with autism. I get where you're coming from, but I'd like to uh, move on to another piece of the pie here. And so uh, I think understanding that, that empathy is based on identification and you know, having similar traits maybe helps us cope a little better with people who just function differently. So if you were to give advice to someone who is looking at their child and seeing some things that maybe don't line up with other children in their developmental stage, and they have that in the back of their head, could my child be autistic? What advice would you give to them? Well, we do a lot of early diagnosis and early treatment treatment planning here at the Autism Center. And um, the main thing is that children with autism learn differently from the Mm get-go, that they are what we call instrumentally motivated. They're going to do something to get something. Hmm. And that, you know, you can put it in simple terms for parents of a two-year-old by saying that, you know, they're not going to get potty trained unless there's something in it that they want and they're not going to get it until something's in the potty. Um, You know, that there's real refined ways of making this work for each kid, but... Um, the, you know, if you think of the child with autism, the little guys, as sort of a little thought bubble over their head that says, like, why should I care? You should either give them a reason to care, um, you know, build in a reward that they want, or maybe teach them something different. Um, and it's that, um, instrumental learning style that is very different from, I want to do it because, you know, all the minnows swim in this direction. And the teacher says to sit crisscross on the mat, and everybody else is sitting crisscross on the mat, so I want to sit crisscross on the mat. Hmm. Well, you know, the child with autism might want to run to the fish tank at the back of the room. Um, you know, they're going their little why-should-I-care icon hmm. is flashing, and they want to do what what they want to do. And so we need to think of how to teach them so that 
there is some gain, and so we can expand their horizons beyond what they're interested in by teaching them, I call it thin edge of the wedge, um, into adjacent adjacent interests. So we can move from you know, only being interested in whales to being interested in sharks to being interested in, uh, you know, other large sea animals, but then maybe interested in large ocean-going vessels and then large land-going vessels like grilled pickup trucks. And, you know, you can just see where you can start with a narrow interest and expand a child's world by using that little bit of unexplained why is he so interested in this and spreading it around on other things that might take on those traits. In, in many instances, and people on the spectrum have giftings. Uh, once some, some, once they learn something, it is learned. It's there. It may take a little while to get right. there, but it's there. Uh, right. Crazy awesome organization skills at times, and you can sometimes see that uh, with kids at a very young age sorting blocks in, in one way or another. And I think right. that... I guess what I'm gleaning from you and why I have been so delighted that you took time for us today is because it seems that it benefits us as humanity. Forget that. As humans, as individual humans, and then as humanity, to recognize people uh, with autism or on the autistic spectrum or people who are dealing with uh, life in, in differing ways. And we see that there may be just something a little different. When we can recognize that each person has their own gift a contribution to make, I think that makes us all better as people. I'd like your your thoughts on that. Well, absolutely. That's exactly what I mean about how we need to rethink the um, <clears throat> getting, getting people on the autism spectrum ready for adulthood. You know, what are they good at and how do we turn that into something where they can feel not only gratified themselves, but other people feel like they're making a worthwhile contribution. Mm, that's powerful. Her book is po- The Politics of Autism. And what I've learned so far is to take it out of politics and to put it right back into the people mode, because people are what count. I have so appreciated you today. And you know, you've been so generous with your time, Dr. Siegel. And I think a lot of us have learned something very powerful. I can just kind of help us all all out. Fabulous interview. Thank you for your generous time. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I hope your listeners will be interested in this and oh, yeah. they'll call with interesting follow-ups and things, other things they want to talk about. My Michelle Live comes to you with thanks from one of our affiliates, in particular, Real Bearded Men. Check out their products. All for our bearded listeners. All my brothers with beards, raise up your beards. Let that thing grow wild from ear to ear. They say you're so cute, clean shaven. I'm so sorry, dear. This ain't no shave, November's no shaving. Brothers with Beards. We have a special deal with Real Bearded Men. Go to our website, get a coupon code, and use the link. You'll get the best deal on products for men with beards. Now, I think that we have an obligation in um, in America as Americans with American values, as Christians with Christian values. We have an obligation to have an understanding of autism. Why? Because one in 68 children in the United States is on the autistic spectrum. They're there. Do we just ignore them, treat them as weird? How, how do we treat our, tell our children to deal with children with autism? And if the Bible says we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, does that mean those kids with autism and the adults with autism are fearfully and wonderfully made as well? I say yes. And our next guest will give you some insight. Tawny Cullen uh, had a baby, a beautiful, beautiful, healthy baby boy. But around uh, just shy of a year, about 22 months old. You can imagine this baby and all the expectations you have for the rest of their life, and suddenly they're experiencing a, a loss in, in verbal skills and words and playing skills and ability to make eye contact. That had got, had, had to be just fearful 
for Tawny, especially when she heard the diagnosis that he had autism. But he has so much more than that label, and you're going to find out about that right now. Tawny Cullen is our guest, and we'll tell you about a book that she wrote concerning her son. Welcome, Tawny. Thanks for having me. Tawny, what was it like when you heard the words, he's autistic, he has autism? Well, um, obviously, it was a huge blow. You know, what came with that was this phrase that I saw in the folder that we got given to us, and it said, no known cause, no known cure, lifelong. And with those words, it felt like a prison sentence, honestly. And so I was looking at my little two-year-old boy and thinking, God, as a, as a mother, as a Christ follower, where is hope when there is no hope? That's a good question. Where is hope when there is no hope? I mean, that had had to just hit you. You know, when you get that, that pain in the pit of your stomach, it's like you're riding a roller coaster with that bar across your gut, and it just leaves that impression in your gut, and it never leaves, and, and, and you're falling, and you're falling. And that is a bit of what it can feel like when you're left in this hopeless state. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, like any parents would, you do everything that you can in the natural to mobilize. You know, we got into the best therapies. We started uh, doing, you know, biomedical treatment and, and special diets and even took dives in hyperbaric oxygen chambers. We did absolutely everything we knew to do. And, um, you know, I think that the piece of this, though, that isn't always talked about is what is a spiritual journey as you're walking through this as well? How do you pray for your child? How do you speak life over your child? How do you wade through this when, when your best emotional, physical, mental, financial resources are being burned through and you don't quite know how you can look at what God's Word says and even know what to expect, what to pray, or even how to relate with other people who used to be your friends. How did it affect you personally? How did it affect you with, with your friends and your, your life? How did it change specifically once you realized your son had autism and this was a lifelong thing that you were going to deal with? Yeah, well, you know, he had been developing typically, so we really thought that we were doing all the right things, you know. We we moved from a town home into a single family home. We got a fence. You know, we we were just doing all the things to set up our lives for a family and for everything to go as planned and make good decisions. And so when this happened, um certainly you ask why? Why God, you know? We prayed over this child from before he was ever born. How could something like this happen? Did God make a mistake? No. Um, no, I don't believe that God makes mistakes. But one of the things that has really been something that I would say out of this is that God is really good at being able to restore. So I'm not one that thinks that, you know, God just, you know, there's a lot of platitudes that come with something like this. You might hear, God gave you a child with autism because he knew that you would be strong, or all of those things. And those are really not all that helpful when you're going through something like this. But the thing that is something that I've learned in my heart is God restores. When we bring the broken pieces of our lives before him, and when we look at his word and his promises and we say, God, you got to show me, can I trust you in this? Is this really real? Mm-hmm. That he can take broken things and make a mosaic out of them. I, I want you to share with us a, a light that went on in you as your son was writing on an iPad, practicing letters on his iPad, and then something came into focus that kind of turned on the light, maybe even a spiritual light for you. Tawny. Yeah. Well, um, our child had, we had been doing everything we could to try to get speech. He had ended up on the severe end of the spectrum, nonverbal, 
one of the 40% of children that would remain nonverbal with autism. And that's very difficult because you really don't know what they're thinking. You don't even hardly know your child. You love your child. You do everything that you can, and you play with them and all those things, but you don't know what he's thinking. And, um, you know, that's very disheartening. Well, I was able to learn about a particular method that helped me understand that he was in there. It starts with this idea that is presume age-level intelligence. Well, that helped change even the way that I looked at him. I just looked at him differently because I I saw that he was in there and it was a matter of how do we pull him out. Hmm. I'd been doing this particular method for about a year. um, And, you know, we had made some marginal progress. He could spell short words that I would would offer him up and then say, okay, let's spell these. But this particular night I was working with him and we were reading out of the children's Bible. (laughs) And I was reading about how Jesus healed the blind man. And so I said, okay, I read the the story. I said, Josiah, Jesus healed the blind man. What did Jesus do? Did he H-E-A-L heal the blind man? Or did he P-L-A-Y play with the blind man? Ripped the paper in half, tapped heal or play. He chose the paper that said heal. And I said, okay, let's spell heal. We had his iPad up that has large alphabetical letters um, on an app. And instead of pressing H like he was supposed to, he pressed G. I thought, oh, he's missing it. Then he pressed O, like go. He goes on to spell his first independent sentence ever. God is a good gift giver. Oh, my. You had to have been floored. After seven years of nonverbal, not being able to even reach your son, the first sentence to be so profound and so beautiful. What did you do, Tony? Well, I was I was absolutely dumbstruck. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. I was speechless. I was the one that was speechless. I, first of all, I thought, you know, am I on candid <laughs> camera? Did I crack? Like, what happened there? Am I really seeing this? And um, and the other thing I thought was. Uh, is he being healed like before my eyes? What What is happening? What has happened? And I, sa- I said to him, you know, Josiah, yes, that's right. God is a good gift giver. And um, I just want you to know, though, too, that that's not a phrase that he had been around. Like, it's not like we had said that phrase or anything. So even the phrasing was profound. And so I said, how do you know that? And the next thing he types is, God is everlasting Jehovah. Oh, my word. <laughs> and then I really knew something had happened, I, that something very supernatural had kind of intercepted in our in our dining room that night. And it, wow. that was really the pivotal point for us. And he started opening up his communication, and I started getting to know my child. But it um, went from, you know, asking him everything from what's your favorite color and well, who's your favorite cartoon character and things like that to over time he was writing these most profound things like wisdom words and he was sharing things that he had never been taught and that's where i started trying to pace together what was he seeing what was he hearing what is he experiencing because there was nothing on my grid even as a christ follower even as as someone who uh you know i worked at a church as a pastor uh, this is not something that I could have ever expected or even looked for. And over time, I came to find out that that he was describing things as heaven and spiritual things somehow. And that's really the turn that our story takes. I think there's a profound God story in this massive uh, issue that we're dealing with in our nation, and that's autism. There is a profound story. Anytime we see something as a deficit, as a curse, as a negative, God says, oh, yeah, well, wait and see and watch what I can do with it, because you can taste and see that God is good. We're going to just see how good God is. Autism affects one in 68 children. Every school in America is dealing with autism. And this spectrum is very, very wide from those highly functional and just a little socially awkward to those who are completely nonverbal and more extreme. There is no universal treatment protocol for autism. 
you started realizing that there were deeply profound and beautiful things that God was showing him that you didn't even know where it came from. Yes, absolutely. You know, again, I'm a lifelong Christ follower. But what what started happening was that I started falling in love with God again for the first time, if I can say it that way. <laughs> it's like God became so real to me. And even the way that I would open up and read the Bible, it, all of a sudden I was seeing God in a whole new way because God invaded and intercepted our space. And I think that one of the things that it really challenged me to do was to say, do I, I'm getting these, these words, these amazing words in real time. And I'm, I'm telling you, they're extremely profound. Um, you know, like one of the, one of the things, one of my favorite quotes that Josiah has written is faith is believing for kites to fly when there's no wind in sight. Oh, my gosh. Those are the types of quotes and poem words that he writes. And when when I read something like that, when I see something like that come, it says to me, okay, I need to take God at his word. Do I really believe what he says? Do I believe that he's the same God of the Bible? Do I believe that he still acts the way that he used to act? today. And, you know, Josiah had started writing these amazing things, profound things, profound theological things. And I was wondering, where is he getting this? And I started pasting things together. And and one day I decided, I'm just going to see if he'll finish this lead-in sentence, this lead-in line I give him. And so I said to him, Josiah, how would you finish this if I said, my favorite place in heaven is. I, I just kind of wanted to test him on this. And if I may share this first song or poem that he ever wrote, if you have a moment. Yes, please do. Please so do. He responded, my favorite place in heaven is over peaceful waters. Peace is real. Tired souls naturally test peace. Roses are so stunning. Worship the king. Sing loud to the prize pardon who requires praise. Angels taste of his holiness, ordained great attitude of praise. Help us worship the Lord together, please him. All you hail the king of majesty forever. Make a noise to the king on the throne. He's seven years old when he's typing this. Tani, I am profoundly touched by that. And the only words that I can say is that of all the important people on the planet who are doing important things, of all the the folks that we watch on the evening news uh, waxing eloquently and and convincing us of, I don't know who to vote from, who to vote for to, you know, all, all sorts of other things, of all of the important positions that people hold and the busy things that we do, One's left wondering if God in heaven is looking down on on Josiah and saying to to him, to God, you are doing the most important work. You're praising me and you're loving me. And while we are so busy thinking that we're the normal ones, I'm listening to the words of your son and wondering, where am I off base? <laughs> I want to be well, more like Josiah. Doesn't it say that? Doesn't that it say that in the Bible that unless we become like little children, we're not going to have access to the kingdom of uh-huh. heaven? And 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. He uses the simple things to confound the wise. He uses the simple things, what the world deems as simple. <laughs> there the you go, girl. There you as, go. <laughs> as irrelevant, not worthy, not valued. And he uses those things to astound and confound the people who believe they're wise. That is and I believe that what, that's what God's doing. Oh, that is amazing. Because you wrote this book, folks listening all over the, the, the world on the Internet, because you're sharing his story, that beauty and that simplicity is changing us. I mean, it's, it, it's a, I will never, ever forget Josiah's story. I am so grateful that you came on. Don 
Connie's book is Josiah's Fire. Autism stole his words. God gave him a voice. And oh, what a voice it is. Thank you, Tani, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Wow. That was amazing. That That's just amazing. You know, we talk about these important news stories daily. And yet this this story, man, I will not forget this. And I hope all of this has impacted you and empowered you. If you have uh, autism, if you know someone who does I want you to know that there is a plan and a purpose for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are astounding. And God has a purpose and a plan for you, just as he does for all of us. That's the God story today, and it is a good one. God is good. And the God story, well, we're sharing it here on My Michelle Live and all of our podcasts. This has been Health Watch Wednesday. You can join us for sports, a weekend review, science and technology, news and views, whatever it is it is we always look for the god story so for more go to mymichellelive.com you can find us uh, anywhere we're podcasting you'll see the rest of our podcasts like it share it please help us to grow we're basically in our infancy of going 100% digital and i appreciate the feedback your emails as you go to my michelle live your comments it has encouraged us and even helped us to decide how and what we're going to be putting out for you. You're part of this, and you are part of the God story. We'll catch you next time. Be blessed. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.